You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. The views and opinions expressed on this show do not necessarily represent those of the network, its advertisers, owners, or sponsors. This is Dr. Saba Maruf, and you are listening to Unsung Heroes, uncovering stories of inspiration and action here on Podcast Detroit. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Unsung Heroes, Stories to Inspire here on Podcast Detroit. I am your host, Dr. Saba Maruf, and we are back with episode uh, 34. And uh, I am joined today by my co-host, Calvin Moore. Hey, everybody. Hey, Calvin. It's been a little while. It's been a minute. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad we're back. Yeah, me too. I miss, I miss this on my Fridays. I miss you. <laughs> oh, thank you. Me too. I know. it's. I feel like I'm a little bit out of practice because it's been a good four weeks. Um, but we're also here with our sound engineer, Jessica. Hi. <laughs> Happy Friday. <laughs> Happy Friday. Thanks for being here on this nice kind of rainy, drizzly Friday. I picked her up today. I oh, know, you did? Oh, I brought, yeah, I picked her up nice. in her house. She let me into her life a little bit. Oh. I picked her up and brought her here. Okay. So, Thank oh, you. Nice. That's, why you got her. That's, that's why we're on the air. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Right. Thank you so much. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but welcome back to our listeners. Um, our purpose here is to share amazing stories and unique narratives of individuals who have been sparked by their passion to become movers, shakers, and change makers in our communities. And we really hope that by sharing these stories of positivity and um, with that, we inspire you to live a life of action as well. Um, and I'm really excited today um, because we have been, I've been in touch with um, my guest kind of virtually and I got to meet her now. I've been seeing her all over the place and um, we've been talking about doing this for a while. So I'm really glad it's happening. Um, but just want to welcome our guest, our unsung hero of the day, Feiruz Saad. Thank Hi, you for having me. Hi. Hi. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. Thank you so much for taking time out um, from your campaign trail and campaigning um, to spend some time with us today. No, oh, of course. This is awesome. Oh, good. Yeah, I know. We're all kind of introducing you to our studio and our like padded room and everything. Everybody always gets a kind of a kick out of it. So, I yeah. know. The listeners can't see it, but it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. They're definitely missing out. It's super cool in here. Yeah. Most people think, like, is this going to be at your dining room table? Yeah. I mean, I'm cool with that, but they come in like, oh my gosh, it's really nice in here. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, thanks to our uh, creator, Dave Phillips. Give him a shout out. Yep. <laughs> shout out to Dave. Yep. Hi, Dave. Um, so, yeah, so just a little bit of background on Feiruz, um, and I'm just going to, you know, do a really brief intro. I really want to hear from you. Um, but Feiruz was born and raised in Michigan and really has spent her career serving the public, most recently for Detroit Mayor Mike Duggan. She's a proud graduate of Michigan Public Schools and the University of Michigan, and she's worked at every level of government to keep our communities safe and to expand opportunities for families in the state. She's um, Feiruz has learned the value of hard work from her parents, who immigrated to Michigan more than 40 years ago and started a small business in Detroit's eastern market. A proud progressive, Feiruz learned from her parents that through hard work and determination, anyone can achieve the American dream. And Feiruz is running for Congress to make sure that we hope that promise that we keep that promise alive for all Michigan families. Um, so briefly, after graduating from the University of Michigan, Feiruz began her career as a field organizer for the Kerry campaign, working in Michigan's 11th congressional district. And um, in 2008, <clears throat> 
Uh, well, she uh, worked um, also helped with the Obama campaign and inspired by Barack Obama's energy and message. She joined a nonprofit organization to encourage civic engagement and voter participation, which we'll talk about. Um, and she accepted an appointment in President Obama's administration at the Department of Homeland Security, where she worked to strengthen community policing efforts in the fight against terrorism, protect state and local critical um, infrastructure and strengthen our nation's cybersecurity. Um and you've also been involved um, coordinating uh, emergency response efforts to stop um, for so environmental um, areas to stop the spill and cleanup of our coasts after the Deepwater Horizon oil spill. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2015, Fairuz became the first director of Detroit's Office of Immigrant Affairs under Mike, Mayor Mike Duggan, where she helped immigrants integrate into the city, find jobs, and start businesses. And she's also served as the board chair for M-Gage USA Michigan, an uh, organization that she helped launch, oh, I didn't realize that, um, that fosters civic and electoral participation within the Muslim American community. Does Hassan Sheikh work with that organization? Yes. Okay. All right. I like him. He's been on my show several times. Yeah. Oh, cool. He was on the show when uh, with yes, me well, the first. When we met, yeah. All right, exactly. okay. Small world. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's a marathon runner. Uh, she lives in Northville with her husband Chris, who works at Ford Motor Company. So up top, welcome. Up top on the marathon running. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Wait, what was thir- the last Thirteen point one or twenty six point two. Twenty six point two. Okay, good. Oh, for yeah. real marathon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And not, half marathons are awesome too. But no, oh my gosh, I, that's I feel like you should get the whole job done. That's yeah. just me. <laughs> that's just me. But anyway, what was the last uh, marathon you ran? It, unfortunately, it's it been 13. a few 1? years. Oh, okay. it, it's been a few years since I've run a full marathon. I did run a half, a thirteen point okay, one, right. in two thousand sixteen. So. Wow. Right. When are you, you going to finish? <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it's a tough ribbon here. Normally, people are like, "Oh, you can run five well, miles." Well, you're That's not. Awesome. I know. I'm, an, I'm, you're not I'm about to run half of a campaign, are you? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you, wow. The thing about being a runner and a marathon runner, you kind of get to claim it forever. True story. True so. story. Oh, I'm just razzing. I'm a runner as well. So mm-hmm. I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. I run oh. every day. I run about eight miles a day. Nice. Oh Not gosh. today. I feel very lazy raining, in this room but, now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can barely get up and work out in the morning. I, really, I don't even do that. But anyway, so moving on. Um, Fairuz, so you have been civically engaged for a very long time without um, revealing your age. But it's just, I mean, I feel like since basically since you graduated, it sounds like from college. <laughs> Um, I guess, how did you get started and how did you know from that young age that this type of involvement is so important and that maybe it was your calling? Yeah, so, um, well, first, thank you for having me here on the show. Um, I really appreciate it. I I think right when I launched... Uh, on you left a message on my Facebook page and oh. you're like let's talk and 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 then I messaged you like three months later and I'm like can we have that discussion <laughs> um, so I'm, I'm really honored to be here it's uh, oh, I, I really you. appreciate it but we're honored um so uh, it, it actually goes before college so I uh when I was in high school my so I'm one of six and my two older sisters both were were civically engaged themselves so I kind of really watched them and they and they would kind of take me along to volunteer for them and I remember my uh, sister, my sister Samar, my sister Maryam, they would uh, we would go to naturalization ceremonies and mm. register people to vote as soon as they came mm. out of their naturalization ceremonies. And it was just I mean, I wasn't even old enough to register to vote at the time. And it was a really cool experience because 
here they were, these new Americans, and like they would come right to us. They were so excited to register to vote and would talk about what an honor it is to vote. And so it was actually quite surprising for me later on in my life that that was something I would have to convince people to do. You know, this is why it's important to register. This is why we got to vote. And it is such an important piece of civic engagement is voter engagement and participation and education. But this was my first experience with civic engagement. And it really it really had a long lasting influence on me. Wow. So so interesting. Tell us a little bit about growing up then, because. Uh, part of your bio is your parents had a, a store in Eastern Market, which mm-hmm. is – They're love, still there. I love, they're still there? Yeah, they're still there. Where it just came they? from it. Uh, yeah. Where is Sad Wholesale Meats. It's, it's, oh, it, yeah. okay. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Right. Most, yeah. Okay. Most people know. It's it's actually cool because – so they're in the Eastern Market. My, my dad's been there for over 40 years now. It's, I think it's everybody, all business. the Muslim families in the area – when they, especially when they first moved here, before we had all the stores in the suburbs, they all would go to Detroit to Eastern Market. Totally, and and it's it's actually really cool being uh, for the last few years, starting with my work in the mayor's office till now. I mean, beyond just the Muslim community, almost any community, immigrant community, and then some. When they when I tell them about my family business. Every the, every one of them has this amazing story of, oh, when I first moved to this country, mm-hmm. your dad was the first person I met huh. or wow. I went to. Or, oh, we've been going to your dad for, for 40 years, for 30 years. You know, we go to him on Christmas, Easter, get lamb, you know. And mm-hmm. and it's, it's so cool to be part of that story and to see the impact that he has had on people without even knowing it. And, and he's so. part of a larger, a larger tradition. I don't know if you know. Mm-hmm. Eastern Market is America's largest and oldest open-air farmer's market, 1887. How cool. Which is kind of crazy. I didn't know that. Oh, it's absolutely amazing. So he's part of an even longer longer tradition. So 40 years. Mm -hmm. That's some long – I mean, there are a lot of people who don't keep a job for like a year and a half. (laughs) (laughs) So that's awesome. 40 years. Good grief. Uh, So, I mean, tell us a little bit about growing up in in the area and and how your background is unique as as a candidate for Congress especially. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I am the daughter of immigrants and, and my parents came here, I say, quite simply in search of the American dream. And, you know, they for them, it it was very simple. It was just come coming here for a better life mm-hmm. and, and better where did opportunity. They come from? Lebanon. Lebanon. OK. All right. Yeah. So and they moved straight to Michigan and this is where they settled. And, and just within a few years of moving here is when my dad opened up his business in, in Detroit and in the Eastern Market. And I I grew up very much with this sense of being very proud of of who we are, where we come, where we came from, where they came from, but also um really feeling fortunate to be here. You know, they they worked hard and I and I watched them um really persevere through a, a lot of, you know, a lot of hardships and a lot of struggles. And my dad often tells the story when he first moved to to Detroit for to open up his business. A lot of people are like, what are you doing? Right. right. And and having encounters every now and then of, you know, maybe people questioning his, um, you know, his background as well and really, really pushing past that. And but it, it was never a question of we belong to whether or not we belong to be here and, and being proud of being American and being Arab American. American. And I I was clearly very influenced by that. And I think 
all my brothers and sisters were, you know, starting with my oldest sister who really started to get involved civically within the community, starting with the Arab American community, but it eventually kind of became a larger, I think, more, more regional thing in Southeast Michigan and, and really encouraging people to get engaged in government and in their civic life because we saw the success our parents had here and what they were able to do and accomplish. And I mean, my parents have been voting since as long as I can remember, right? And mm-hmm. they've been actively involved in the community and giving back. And I think we all saw that. And I know I saw that. And so for me, when it really came time to think about what to do with my career, I chose a career in public service because I wanted to protect what brought my parents here. And I always... I feel like I'm the product of the American dream and it is my job to protect it and ensure that other people can have the same, you know, the same success, the same possibilities, the same opportunities that brought my parents here. So I'm guessing that the last year for you has been a real cluster. Mm. Just just (laughs) turn on the TV like, oh, God, it's undoing everything that we worked for. Okay. Um, Did you decide to run um, after the 2016 election or that was – I mean that was kind of something you were working towards anyway but – it was, it, kind of it was definitely a pivotal point. I mean, I, um, you know, my, again, like I've worked in government and in politics and even on campaigns my whole career. So it never seemed outside of the, the realm of possibility. But the 2016 elections, it, all of it, right? It, to the point of Donald Trump getting elected was certainly a pivotal point for me in that it really felt like I have to do this now because what I felt I learned a lot in 2016 especially is that the narrative really matters in this country and the way our elected officials and politicians for that matter who have these unique platforms talk about things affects us all. You know, it affects what – what's on TV. It affects what ends up in our social media and it affects how we then talk about it in our homes and our schools and it finds its way into public opinion and public policy. And it's everything from healthcare. Like I say again and again, we have to talk about healthcare as a right in this country because that's shifting the narrative and then we can, and then we can work towards a place of Medicare for all. You know, it's the same thing with, with the way we talk about immigrants and refugees. You know, when, when we launched the, the Office of Immigrant Affairs in the Detroit Mayor's Office in 2015, and a few months after we launched it, the Paris attacks happened. And I say, Immigrants and refugees went from being something people kind of talked about a little bit to one of the hottest, most debated political yep. issues in our country. Mm, ruling the news cycle, yep. Exactly. Absolutely. And and we've been doing immigration and re- resettling refugees in this country for years. And all of a sudden, the, they became a, a political punching bag for almost every Republican candidate up and down the ticket, really, but especially at the presidential level. Wow. And it's just, uh, you know, it's just unfortunate that what they've done is they've taken groups that are voiceless and mm-hmm. blamed them for our, our country's struggles. And so for me, a big part of wanting to to run for office and get elected is 
is be a voice for the voiceless, for those communities that are often targeted, for those communities that are disenfranchised, everyone from immigrants and refugees to people who struggle with their health care, who are too busy mm-hmm. climbing out of health care debt to to go and advocate for their right to health care in Washington. And so um, that that's what I learned in 2016. And that's what really made me want to run for office. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you were involved with both um, the Kerry campaign and Obama campaign. Mm-hmm. And how was that experience? How are those experiences for you? I love uh, I-, I love campaigns. And-, and what I love about them is the opportunity you have to talk to people and talk to voters. My my part on campaigns has always been in field. And so doing that direct voter engagement and direct voter contact, as you can see, there's a, there's a bit of a theme in, in my background and what mm-hmm. what most kind of inspires and pushes me when it comes to elections and electoral participation. But um I really like 2004 was my first campaign ever and my first job ever. And it was, you know, I was a field organizer. So I talked to voters every single day. I was on their doors. I was on their phones. I was in their union halls, whatever it might be. And I was talking to them and really had the chance to hear from them uh, everything from what were the struggles that they were facing to what they wanted to see in an elected leader and and what would make them in 2004 for them particularly get out and vote for John Kerry. And it was it it was I guess uh, government the way I had never seen it our 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 country and a society in our way I'd never seen it really really kind of narrowing in on what people are dealing with on a day-to-day level. And I think that just really further catapulted me into my career in public service. And and then the Obama campaign in 2008 was just an entirely even different experience, right? I'm, I'm guessing the conversations mm-hmm. for Kerry did not go as well as the conversations for Obama because clearly the, the outcomes were very, very different <laughs> yeah. in those elections, right? <laughs> well, I should say we won Michigan in 2004 at least. Oh, yeah. you know, okay, so yeah, we, we got okay. our job All right, done. Gotcha. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so the other states that did, the other conversations going on in the other states that didn't yeah, go so well. Yeah. All right. I mean, but it, it was a different time for our country mm-hmm. in, in 2004 as Absolutely. opposed to 2008. And uh, Obama's message was just so um, – it, it was so clear. It was so motivating. Mm-hmm. People were looking. I mean, when you think about Obama, you think hope and change yeah. very clearly. And that's what people wanted. And people still want that. Like, I still see that. I also now think class, then. complete sentences, yeah. <laughs> not a huge Twitter presence that bothers me every morning. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, you can't say it. You're running for office. I can say it. So anyhow, I mean, we miss you, Barack. He, I, yeah. he clearly... I mean, I was inspired by him in so many ways. I mean, starting from his speech in 2004 yes, at the at the convention, mm-hmm. right? How many of us who come from different backgrounds, unique backgrounds, who have quote unquote funny sounding names, you know, all of a sudden it's like, here is this this guy who speaks to us and uh, represents us in a lot of ways. And so, I mean, clearly I was moved by him. But what was so cool in 2008, I think, is as we were doing our, again, voter engagement and voter contact and getting out. Yeah, it it was just so it was so easy to get people out to the polls in a way that it had never been easy before. The the people who would mm-hmm. show up to the polls on election day and be like, this is my first time voting ever. This is my first time voting in 30 years. I'll never forget standing outside of a poll and uh having a woman who 
um, she was in a wheelchair and she had wheelchaired herself over by herself Mm -hmm. from her home to go out and vote. And that was just so amazing. And she's just like, I haven't voted in 30 years. Yeah, I think along uh, – I mean I can say this as obviously as a black person. <laughs> in Detroit, I mean we're the largest African-American city by population. So just in terms of what that did for us, one, he's one of the greatest orators to come along since I would say Martin Luther King for sure. Um, but – I think he represented something, not just, hey, we agree with your political platform, but I think uh, the idea of representation was a huge deal, which is why people are losing their minds right now over the Black mm-hmm. Panther movie. It's like, oh my gosh, it's the first time that, not the first time we've had an African-American hero, but an African-American cast directed by, you know, you know African-American director, produced by African-Americans, and it presents us in ways that uh, we're not the criminal, we're not the thug, we're not yeah. the drug dealer. And so I think Obama uh, represented more than just no more business as usual. We agree with your platform. It was a, a game changer for not just black community, but I think that's how the black community especially responded to Barack mm-hmm. Obama in 2008 and again in 2012. So mm-hmm. uh, but those are just my wow. thoughts on that. So Yeah. But. I'm kind of feeling depressed now. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just like, I, I remember that. All right. Yeah, so, sorry. Okay, so, but I was going to actually just, I remember that Kerry campaign too. Maybe we crossed paths because um, – Ted Kennedy was in town um, in Detroit campaigning for him. And I was in medical school then. And he came to him and Vicki Kennedy, his wife, came to Wayne State. And um, <clears throat> and I was kind of, there was like a few people that they I don't know why they I, probably it was like the token. Like I was like the look of diversity for the you know med school. But it's anyway, but I OK, great. But um, that was uh, but I like. Uh, met Ted Kennedy and shook his hand and I got to have like there was a few students that just had a one-on-one conversation with Vicki Kennedy who was just uh, amazing she was so um, lovely just such an easy person to talk to so I'll always remember that from the Kennedy campaign I mean not Kennedy well yeah Kennedy was campaigning for (laughs) Kerry so that was very memorable so let's talk about your decision your decision to run for office we've kind of talked around themes but was there an existential we haven't talked about like is there an existential moment that you said okay I'm doing this um What's been the most surprising about this journey and and what have you learned so far in, in campaigning for yourself versus campaigning for someone else? Yeah. Um, so first, kind of the the decision, you know, as I said, I, I think definitely the throughout the 2016 election and then, of course, the outcome was it definitely catapulted me into this decision. And I think. And I remember immediately after I I sprung into action. It's funny because many people I, – I, I had friends who were like, I laid in bed and I cried for the first 24 hours and I just couldn't. I was just like, OK, what do we do? Clearly, we have to take some action. We have to fight back. I'm ready to do this. Let's go. Um, and – and I, I wasn't exactly sure. Like where do I put all this energy that I have right now? And then Donald Trump took office and there was the immigration ban and the Muslim ban and, you know, appealing from the Paris Accords and all of these things. I'm like, oh, okay, this is what, you know, we need, you know, and I was at the airport and I was marching at the airports. And I, I mean, I literally spent the first three months of three or four months even of 2017 helping organize and attend emergency town halls, right? And working with people and speaking with people about and and trying to assure people the best that I could that they would be safe, what their rights are, you know, in case there, you know, there are these bans that come through. And, you know, it, 
it was so it was so sad that this that this is what we now had to do that and it hurt that I couldn't protect them and I couldn't assure them that they would be safe and I was doing the best I could to at least arm them with so that they knew what their rights were but one of uh, one moment in particular that stood out to me I was in Canton which which is in my district and I had been asked Damn, to come a lovely speak. IKEA out there. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I see why you're out there now. Yeah. <laughs> um it it also has this growing and engaged uh, progressive community, I would say. And mm. I was asked to speak on a panel, and it was actually held at the mosque in Canton. And I, I, I well, there was a bunch of us up there. And I remember looking out into this audience, and it was held at the mosque, and the, and the, the topic, I believe, was on immigration. And everybody in the mosque kind of who came out on a Friday night, by the way, to listen to us speak, it just represented an entire, such a diverse group of people. Like it wasn't mainly Muslims. It wasn't mainly immigrants. I mean, there was everybody from the surrounding area in this district and it was packed on a Friday night. And I remember looking out and thinking, okay, I'm not the only one who feels this way, right? People also want to fight back. People are also angry. People want to find a solution and they want more and better from their elected leaders. And that was really a turning point for me and like, um, you know, all right, let's do this. Let's take back the 11th district. Let let me start there. At the time, Dave Trott, who has now who is now retiring, but he 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 was still in office. He was completely invisible. Like people had no idea where he was, mm-hmm. what he was doing, how he was representing them, and uh, and people were were really upset with his leadership or lack of leadership, we should say. And I, you know, I saw it as something. I saw it as a need, really, that people wanted change in this district specifically. And that was a way to give it to them by giving them better representation in Congress. Okay. Are you running opposed or unopposed? I, I do have a primary. Okay. Uh, there's four people in addition to myself. Okay. So it's, it's a bit of a crowded primary, as right. people say. But, uh, you know, democracy is good. And and at the very least, what we're getting is is people really being engaged, really paying attention, looking at all the candidates closely. Um, you know, now I, I – Obviously, believe I can beat them all, and I'm going to win. But it's good. Let's keep it's a good attitude engaged. to have, right? Okay. Yeah, absolutely. When is the primary in Michigan? August seven. Oh yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. August. So, um, I mean, have you dealt with any adversity on the campaign trail, and how how have you how has that affected you? How do you kind of rise above that? How do you deal with it if you've experienced it? Yeah, it's uh, so within my first 24 hours of of launching my campaign, I say the Twitter trolls, but really the social media trolls came out right in full force. And they really haven't gone away since. I mean, there there isn't a day in which I don't get a message or a tweet or an email or something in which someone is like they are either saying something hateful about me to me and i mean it really only is is focused on my religion my background my ethnicity maybe my gender um and so it was it was difficult at first because i wasn't used to that quite at that level just yet um and you know now i i just try and 
I take it. I try and take it as motivation. Like this is why I'm doing it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's this trying not to take it personal. They don't they don't know me. But what they've heard about my background and about others like me is all wrong and misinformed. And so I am part of why I'm doing this is to just help create a more informed narrative. And so I really see it as an opportunity for for education and really just try and help motivate me and push me push me further so it doesn't make you cry at all you're just like whatever <laughs> brush the dirt off your shoulder like, keep going yeah, whatever keep haters <laughs> sometimes <laughs> i mean like my husband can probably tell you how it really affects me and because he he definitely sees it mm-hmm. uh probably the most and the best i mean my staff they they try and protect me like my campaign okay, manager so I was and say, I, do you have a staff around you who's like who's getting those tweets like hey just don't even look at it just keep going kind of yeah okay. yeah my campaign manager and i now have a deal in which she 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 sends me the emails that come in in which people are very nice and encouraging and the deal is only the really creative hateful emails will get forwarded to me you okay. know just, like, you know this one like, out. Y- yeah exactly just you know give us a laugh or again <laughs> maybe this helps motivate you kind of thing so i mean it is hard it definitely is hard and you know i think a, a lot of people face this in different ways um and you know people say things like go home and you know it's it's so hard not to Hill. reply, <laughs> yeah, and be like, "Thanks, I am home. Got here safely," or yeah. something like funny like that. <laughs> but um, you know, you just it, it's all part take a picture of the your course. house and be like, "How you living?" Oh, yeah, exactly. Right. I uh, say I'll say that my I I say my my marathon training has actually prepared me well for this in so many ways, okay. right? Because mm-hmm. they say a campaign is like running a marathon, but also, I mean, for me, I know when I run. I I largely run alone and I I have to run with my headphones right with with my headphones on and music playing in my ears what's, your, and, what's in your playlist mm-hmm. uh, I'm I I really like like pop music okay. that's kind of yeah. happy so a lot of Taylor Swift as you're running down yeah right. yeah all that like um Imagine Dragons okay yeah, yeah like yeah. that's my, my dad theme heard song them the other day actually. we had a party and my dad was like who's this band I was like. Imagine my dad's in his sixties. Like, I like <laughs> nice. this, and he yeah. downloaded it in his Apple Music. Like, okay, well, yeah. Believer like, is my theme song. Okay. I will say, yeah, right. that's like um, a cross generations. My son loves them, and we're like listening okay. to them. Yeah, even totally. my eleven year old. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of weird when I'm listening to something. My dad's like, I, I like know, like, mm, I can't like that anymore. Because <laughs> my daughter does. I'm like, hey, you know, yeah, she way, feels the same way. Yeah, the way for you to not like something is for me to start liking something, right? She's like, yeah, so don't like this band because I really like them. All right, all right, I won't like. Yeah, yeah. So, so. You said, hey, yeah, it's a crowded primary, but I feel like I can beat them all. So let's say you beat them all. You've, you've now won, you've, you've won the, the election. Uh, you now have this new job. So what, what do you think you bring to the table should you win this seat? Well, the, the first thing is really believing, uh, seeing myself. Really, I say I'm an unapologetic progressive. And that's what I want to go to Washington to do. I want to go and fight for progressive values like Medicare for all. You know, I keep bringing this up again and again because how important I believe it is in this country. And and it's, again, about going and sticking to these values and ensuring that we continue to talk about them and fight for them um, in a way that helps inform the narrative but shows we're not going to back down. 
And I say that 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 can be done and we can still compromise. We can still work with with Republicans. But I personally, I'm tired of sending Democrats to Washington to look and sound like Republicans and to feel like we got to we got to play on the Republican agenda or platform or we have to appeal to Republican uh, to, to Republicans. Like, no, these are our values. These are my values as a progressive. These are the things I believe in. And that is what I'm going to go and fight for no matter what. And whether that's introducing legislation so so that we can, you know, hopefully be able to to make the difference, whether it is just continuing to push back and, and resist the Trump administration and being being a fighter here as visibly as I can in my community, being and ensuring that the, the that the citizens and of the 11th district know that I'm here and I'm here to fight for them and to really bring results for them and being an active member of the community. I mean, uh, Congressman Trot has held two town halls his entire time in office. Like we probably won't get another one from him before he leaves, even if he's retiring. He's still. He still has a commitment and his du- a duty to his constituents. And so uh, that's that's another thing that I'm committing to is holding regular town halls in the district, ensuring that my office, my staff and myself is accessible to to the people of the 11th district. Wow. Um, we mentioned a little bit about um, M-Gage. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how that's kind of, um, you know, helped springboard you into this as well? Yeah, so. Uh, M Gage, as as you said, is a uh, non nonpartisan organization that works to engage the Muslim American community into kind of civic and and uh, civic life and voter engagement. And it really, for me, I mean, getting people involved in an, our electoral system is so important. It's such an imp- important piece of really everything that we do, whether it's sending someone to represent to representatives on their city council or all the way to Congress or president, right? And a lot of times I be, I feel there's there's barriers to that. Whether it's um, voter education, people aren't aware of who's running, why they're running, even where their poll is, are they registered to vote, how to register to vote. And it's, it's important that we, we bring people into that process. We make them part of that process because people are, again, struggling with their healthcare bills. They have jobs. They have their families, right? It's, it's a lot to, to put it on them. All right. You also got to go figure out how to register to vote, go register to vote and then make sure you vote and know who you're voting for and all of this, right? So it's really about bringing, bringing, help bringing it to the people and help educate and inform them, um, in, in a, in a ways that's also kind of done in places that's comfortable for them, right? So with Engage, one thing we did in two, in the 2016 election is try and hold candidate forums. We held nine candidate forums, either on our own or in partnership with other organizations. And a lot of them were held in mosques. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we brought candidates from, again, both sides of, of the aisle and we invited both and people got a chance to hear from those running to represent them and ask them questions. Um, another thing we did is uh, we did uh, GOTV, so get out the vote. And for, so for the last two weeks leading up to the election day in 2016, we held a number of phone banks across 
the community. Um, a lot of uh, we we did a lot of work in in the eleventh district specifically because of the the large community that's here, the concentration, and we have a number of mosques in the area as well. But so we held these phone banks, and we essentially had had volunteers calling into what were probably Muslim American homes to just remind them that Election Day was coming up, ask them if they needed any any information, get that information to them if they needed it, you know, reminding people where their polling location was, and then just calling them between two weeks prior up until Election Day and saying, all right, vote. Vote, vote, vote. You know, it's that consistency and that and that repetition that's really important. And we made close to twenty thousand calls doing this. And you know, it, it for me, this was the most important piece because again, it's it's that voice at the polls that really makes a difference and that strengthens us, strengthens communities. But also, this is what we need. We need to engage more people into the electoral process. We need to increase voter engagement in this country. Period. Um, so that that for me was. Um, you know, was really important work. And what's cool is then in December of 2016, the, the, I think it was the Michigan House of Representatives, they were introducing an anti-refugee resolution. And we were like, all right, we got to do something to stop this. So um, I I worked with Hassan Sheikh, our executive director, and I was just like, all right, can can we get some of those phone banks going again and have people kind of call, encourage people to call into their elected officials' offices and encourage them not not to vote for this resolution or vote against it or whatever it might be. And so we we did that again. And a, a few months later, I was talking to someone I knew, some staff I knew in the in the House of Representatives, and we I was talking about that to them about Engage, and they're like, "Oh, wait a minute, I know you guys. You're the ones who like flooded our offices with phone calls about the anti refugee resolution," and that to me was so cool, right? Because it mm-hmm. didn't end up passing. I, I think it may didn't even make it through committee, but I'm regardless, it didn't pass, and so it really does make a difference, and so. Now we can take that back to communities and say, like, look, your voices are heard. Your voices do make a difference. And it is important that that we stay engaged and hold elected officials accountable. Wow. So <clears throat> I guess the question for me, in anybody who's running in public uh, for public office, I think we had somebody else in here, uh, Nicole Beatty. Mm-hmm. We had her and she's also running for office in, in her district. Uh, what, Birmingham area? Yeah. yeah. Something like that. Okay. And um, so, Nadia Hashimi in Maryland. We oh, talked to her on the phone. Um, yeah. So we've talked to a lot of political candidates on this show. We've talked to a lot of political candidates on my Abdul show. Abdul Sayed. And, yeah, Abdul Sayed. Uh, he's so great. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, I hope you guys say that about me when I leave. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm already saying it, but, you know, I want to sound, you know, bipartisan. More, no, you know? totally. Um, but we, li- we again, we live in an age where you say, okay, Twitter trolls are, they're on their job. I mean, they're, they're, Ripping on people like it is their job, like they're being paid for it and not like they're actually in their mom's basement, right? Um, which is where they probably are. But because of that, I mean, I'll get on Facebook, I'll get on Twitter, um, and the new, okay, I guess this is a better, <clears throat> better way to put it. My wife and I like the old show West Wing. We're working our mm-hmm. way through it. We're in season five right now. I've watched it all. She's ever watched it. So it's great to watch it again. So we're watching through it and I, and, 
I remember two of the characters, they were dealing with the White House press office and they said, you know, okay, we need to get out in front of this item because it's going to, it's going to rule the day. It's going to rule the news cycle, right? And that was in the nineties, early to the late nineties, early two thousands where the news cycle was a day, right? Mm -hmm. And now we're at a point where the news cycle is an hour, Mm -hmm. right? Things are changing. Things are trending. What's trending now? And so for me, it's so hard to pay attention. Okay, here, this thing has happened. Okay, now this thing has, and it seems like something tragic has to happen for us to focus on it for a day or more. Like, unfortunately, the shooting in Parkland, right? Mm-hmm. That, that ruled several days and continuing to rule several days. But by and large, your everyday political thing, oh, Trump said this. Okay, now Trump said this. Okay, now this thing happened over here in New York with the stock exchange. Okay, now this guy launched a, a car out into space. And so there are all these things to think about and care about. How do you keep a how do you keep a constituency paying attention long enough to know uh what to care about and how to care about it? And we have very short engaged. yeah, we have very short attention spans now. So Yeah, well, so I think first is that we really understand what our values are and, and what our priorities are. And, and, and that's what, you know, we continue to kind of, um, engage around and bring the narrative around the, the best that we can, right? And, and keep our constituents engaged in. And, and for me, kind of my followers and those, like, um, so I think it's, it's so important, especially in the age of Donald Trump to not let us, let, not let him take us down our rabbit holes, you know, not, not as a, as someone who who's running for office, not to run an anti-Trump campaign, right. but ensure that we are still focusing on the the values that we care most about, you know, like healthcare and, you know, getting, having a livable wage and ensuring we're doing everything we can to to grow our small businesses and, and fighting for social justice issues like immigration reform and women's rights and reproductive rights. Um, so I think that's first and foremost is, is not allowing ourselves to be distracted by Donald Trump. And this hurricane and frenzy he sends us in and focusing on the things that we care about and, and making sure we continue to push those, resist, fight for them, whatever it might be. Um, the second thing is that, you know, we are in this new age, this constant information age of, of social media where news and, and things are constantly coming at us. So it's really then leveraging it for the the best that it can bring and using it as a tool to engage with with the people that we are hoping to represent that we are already serving um whatever it might be and allowing for that open communication between yourself whether you are a candidate or in elected office and ensuring you have that transparency and open government between yourself and and the people that you serve so that you can keep yourself on task or and allow the the your voters your constituents to hold you accountable and if they have questions if they have needs or challenges that they are looking to address ensuring that there is a way for you to help uh, address those um and again um and then beyond that is having those regular engagements in the district whether it is a town hall and in today's day and age like if you can't physically be here for a town hall we can do a virtual town hall, mm-hmm. right? There's so many ways to ensure you keep that open door of communication between you and people and the people that you serve. And I think that's the most important piece. That's how you're going to know if you're being an effective leader. And, and that's what's going to, what's going to keep you good with the people that you serve. Because I often say like Congressman Trot, like, okay, 
if you if he had just come and said, hey, this is why I voted for this or didn't vote for this and this is what I believe in. I mean, we can agree. We can disagree and still say we want you out because you tried to repeal ICA and we're not cool with that. But I bet there's so many people who would be a lot less angry with him because at least he made people understand why he why he believed the way he did. Right. So I don't go there with you, but at least now I don't think that you're a total idiot who's screwing us all over. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, I I worked for a state rep, uh, Gino Polidori, and um, unfortunately he's passed, but really was one of the best, most sincere elected officials I'd ever worked for and ever met in my entire life. I love him. And what that's exactly what he did. I swear there wasn't a piece of legislation that came before him that was maybe controversial or or political in which he didn't say, have people emailed, have people called? What are people saying about this? He was in the mm-hmm. community almost every single day talking to people. We held monthly coffee hours and we advertised them, right? And and he just had that relationship with his constituents. I used to say that he, they could have ran Santa Claus against him and he would have still won because... Well, Santa Claus isn't real. So yeah. It makes no sense to vote for him. Yeah, true, true. But, uh, although I think it's like Santa Claus, Mickey Mouse, and some others it, always right, get some you. votes for oh, president. True story. That's right. But, you know, nevertheless... You sincerely it, voted for Santa Claus? Are you an idiot? Right. But continue. I'm sorry. I no, just, no, it's okay. Okay. Um, maybe I, could, I should stop using that. Dang, it was Mother working Teresa, for a really long time. time. <laughs> yeah, um, but I think it's just a, that leadership style, and, and that's what it is. And, and it's being a leader in a way that makes the people that you're serving part of of your your role in elected office. Wow. I mean, wait, that's, wait, it makes I just so much something. sense. You don't have any mm. children that listen to this podcast, right? Like, uh, don't, don't let your so. kids listen to this. Podcast. Oh yeah, oh, oh, Santa, Santa Claus is very, very real. I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. Just imagine he lives in I, North Pole. I just saw him he last has a Christmas. Wonderful marriage. <laughs> <laughs> the government tracks him every year when he goes out. So he's real. He's, he's he might be not let back into this country if, if Donald Trump's True immigration story. laws That's are right. implemented. Not depending on which country States. he comes from. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. Before he gets here, I want to highlight, too, that um, when you did work for Representative Polidori, you led successful efforts to reform foster care, um, secured unemployment benefits for military spouses and helped um, ban texting while driving. Yeah. Yeah. Is that banned? I didn't really realize. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's state law. Yeah. It was. it, so it's it's it was really a cool experience. So I was only like 21, 22 when I first started working for Gino. And I often tell people that Gino didn't even know what a text message was. <laughs> he he actually wouldn't. He called them emails and he wouldn't check them because he thought he would get charged. This was back in the day when you got charged <laughs> yeah. for a text message, right? So he wouldn't even open his text messages. And but he he would often come to us, his staff people, and there's only two of us in the office we were, we were both young, about the same age. And he would come and say, all right, Fears, what do you think are some things that we need to work on? What are what are some things that you feel need to get done right now that uh, our issues could be issues? And he really empowered me in that way to help uh, help craft legislation that that and some of which eventually became law. Um, 
It was the same thing with foster care reform. Uh, a woman who had been affected by the foster care system showed up at our office one day. I took this meeting with her and I sat with her and and she sat and told me this this incredibly heartbreaking story of how she lost her kids to the foster care system and was never able to get them back because of some discrimination in the foster care system um, and a lot of things that that just uh, dis- disadvantaged her. And, it, and so we moved on it, right? This this was a constituent of Gino. She was a voter. She was somebody that we represented who mm. had had this very sad and compelling story. And we we moved into action. You know, I brought it to Gino and I was like, I think this is what we should do. I think, you know, we should create some legislation around this to protect future families from being affected this way. And we eventually got it done. And it took years. It took years. We we were in the uh, I think we were in the minority uh, when we first introduced it. And I think in the majority when it eventually got passed, um, although I'm not positive, but nevertheless, what as it turned out is eventually what we got to is we found that the Department of Health and Human Services at the time already had something similar in practice that they did, but it was not law. Mm-hmm. And so we worked with all the proper players, including the Department of Health and Human Services, the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. We brought everyone together. We created, uh, we crafted this this legislation, this bill that we were like, all right, this is it. This is what this is what needs to get done. It had the support that it needed. And it still took like three or four years for it to actually get passed because because of all the partisanship in Lansing, because of all the politics and everything. And like I said, Gino was somebody that everyone loved. And so what he did, I mean, this was one of the first bills that we introduced. And, you know, he worked hard to advocate for this bill. Like he made, he built relationships with people on both sides in the aisle. He sat on the committee. He worked with his committeemen and we eventually passed it as a bipartisan legislation. Now I should tell you, I had actually left the office before it actually got signed into law by, by then Governor Granholm. But it, it was really this, this kind of amazing experience in which, you know, it, it was really working smart, <clears throat> building relationships, ensuring we were working with everyone on all sides of the aisle to build something and create a bill that the people wanted and that people needed. I would get emails from oh. across the state of people saying, please pass this. So and we eventually got it done. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. It started with um, a, con- a conversation and someone that was brave enough to come and bring that to people that can actual actually affect change Mm -hmm. um so i mean everything you're talking about seems like yeah this is the way that government should work it seems very common sense but of course we know all the politics that sometimes don't so i'm just really i'm really excited i'm really excited to have this conversation get to know you and i'm excited for your campaign that you're going to bring just you know the ethical leadership it sounds like and just being there the communication and and, uh being there for your constituents back before we close out, though, I do I do want to know about this this texting while driving thing. I know mm-hmm. <laughs> because no, I mean, like, uh, I always say, is it really depends, illegal? It depends yeah, the see, room that I'm in no, how I'm, that I, goes. I, well, I mean, okay, there no, there are people who illegal. swear to God that <laughs> I, I I can multitask and they and they're fine. I'm going well if you add texting while driving with. Our current Michigan roads, which we were complaining about before the show started, <laughs> if you're in Michigan right now, the roads are atrocious. But 
I, if you add those two, it's it's a recipe for disaster. But I mean, talk a little bit about that because you are we do have a generation that um, I think has adapted. We I, I used to work at Apple, okay, mm-hmm. and I would tell people I would I would train uh, I would do these uh, these trainings. So throughout the day, people would come in. You'd sell computers. You'd have people getting their phones fixed, and then you'd have your people getting your computer fixed. But if you look closely, there's also a class going on, mm-hmm. and it would often be people who were like in their 40s, 50s, and they'd be complaining, this phone doesn't work. And then you'd do this class, and you'd realize they're just frustrated that they don't know how to use it. Because Not 40s, probably older, right? No, no, 40. really, oh, no. Okay, and, and, and the thing was, I would tell them, hey, you know what? You are a digital pilgrim, whereas kids uh, yeah, are natives digi- digital and, natives, right? Mm-hmm. They've, they've always grown up with this. And so I know that it's mostly the digital natives who fight things like this like no i know how to drive and text it's my grandpa and my and my parents who don't know how to do it but still i think most most research that's come out has said that this is dangerous mm-hmm. so what has it been like pushing that kind of legislation in this kind of 50 50 atmosphere of i can do this versus dumb kid hit me in, in my car mm-hmm. or i was older and trying to do it and i hit a kid in the car who knows how to do it i mean how do you how do you yeah. So what's interesting is we passed it. It passed in 2008 is when we introduced it. Mm-hmm. And it was it, it. I mean, God, that was 10 years I ago. Know. That's crazy. Because that. um, you have to be hands free on a uh, on a military base. You can't even be on the phone on a mm-hmm. military base. I don't know that for my brother who's in the military. But. Yeah. So and and now it's it also there's the hands free thing, right? You got it like even when you're trying to do your GPS, like it has to be kind of mounted or something like that. But nevertheless, mm-hmm. um, I mean, this was in 2008. So this was before really we had the rapid texting culture that we have now before there was Snapchat and WhatsApp and all these other messaging devices where that where it just really texting has become the way we communicate. Who picks up a phone and calls anymore? Like when people call me, I'm like, why are you calling yeah, me? I mean, me? If my mom, like, if my mom calls me, why. I'm like, is that okay? Yeah, I know. It's so oh, strange. Yeah. Just call and say you love me. Can't you just text that mom? Thanks. <laughs> it, like it, this is what I was explaining. It, it was it, it was really – Gino's leadership that then empowered me to be forward thinking. And what what we saw was obvious, right, that this is not just texting while driving. It's distracted driving. And that's what these the introduction of, of smartphones and cell phones and things has has brought into our vehicles. It's distracted driving. Sure, you think you can multitask, but really, we don't want anyone taking those chances because it's putting lives at risk. Yeah. Yeah. And and there are so many examples of people who have been killed or hurt. by. we've all seen those really sad PSAs right on TV where it's like, where are and then it stops and then it goes into the story of someone who was killed because they were mm. writing this text message. Huh. Mm-hmm. Multitasking is a myth too. Our brains are not designed for multitasking. <laughs> Love the that's a whole other, that's a whole right? other podcast. Isn't it that show? like women? I thought it like women oh. can multitask, men can't. I always have well, I think we're better at it. But. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, because in women's brains, they all everything touches, and in a guy's brain, we uh, girls. Guys' brains are like waffles, and girls' brains are like spaghetti. So we've got like the little uh, the squares where we like put syrup in each one, <laughs> oh and girls, goodness. everything yeah, touches, right? So I guess oh. if that's in keeping with that 
thought. Yes, girls are better <laughs> emotionally, like multitasking than guys. Okay. No, so. but yeah, PSA: don't text while driving. But that's—I mean, no, that's—you know what? You get kind of complacent, and you're like, I can't. You get more confident, and it just takes a second. And yeah, yeah right now you need to keep your hands on the wheels with these potholes. So totally, <laughs> both yeah. Hands on yeah. The wheel. I'll save cell phones really quick. I'll—I'll. I'll, this isn't a PSA for no texting while driving, but like I have an automatic message that I do in my phone because there's also this this Emergency. feeling that we have to respond, respond. immediately, mm-hmm. and I have an automatic reply that that has when I'm driving will say you know it'll say auto reply driving my mom has that. D- yeah yes, my I think mom I need to do that and, and for me because I ignore the Apple so one much. I'm like you know you have to click I'm not driving <laughs> I'm driving, yeah. <laughs> I'm not driving. It's, it'll, it'll <laughs> bring every, everyone do it I swear because it'll bring you this sense of relief because we all stress out we think like oh my god I just gotta know if someone's texting me but they're gonna think they need an immediate response right yeah. and then someone will call you and hopefully your bluetooth will then pick it up yeah. so right. last thing mm-hmm. though I have been listening to a lot of books on Audible and that mm-hmm. actually kind of helps because you're like I just want to listen to my book I don't want to talk to anybody there so that go. helps too right. mm-hmm. <laughs> even when I'm ignoring important phone calls but anyway um, thank you so much Farouz for taking time out again from the busy campaign trail we didn't even talk about how busy it must be but um, I really appreciate you taking time out and um, I, I'm really happy that I got to know you and um, and that you're I'm one of your constituents and I'm yep. Really happy to. Um, I, I hope that we can not, continue this conversation. You. Sad. You cannot, can help get the you. word out. I met her. I talked to her. Yeah, this is certainly yeah. part <laughs> of it. Yeah. Um, if I can say really quick, so the 11th district, uh, it is an open seat in 2018. It's a swing district. It's it's for those of you that care about flipping the house. It is an important mm. uh, seat to flip the house. Um, it is essentially Western Wayne and Southwest Oakland County. Some of the major communities are Livonia, Canton, Plymouth, Northville, Nova. By Troy, wow. Rochester Hills, Birmingham, with it's some like Wald Lake, Milford, St. Lion Township, Wolverine Huge. Lake, Auburn Hills. The list goes on and on. I think there's about 27 or 28 communities. So please look it up on Wikipedia. And if you live in the district, please consider uh, voting for me on, in the primaries on August 7. And if you don't, you can still make a financial contribution. So, uh, okay. uh, definitely. Yes, so. What's your website? Fairuzsaid.com. Spell okay. that because you, yep. know, you know. Yep, people. it needs to be spelled. So yep. it, it's <laughs> Uh, Fairuz, it's F like Frank, A Y R O U Z like zebra, S like Sam, A A D like David dot com. Clearly, I've done this before. Yep, I, have it down. Like I have all my the launch words. video is on there. There's a whole big. Please watch the video, which is also on my website. There's a whole big thing about. The, how Starbucks screws up my name all the time. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah, I saw that. Everyone will relate to it. you save each cup? Uh-huh. You'll, yep, oh. There's a bit of a montage of yeah. the ridiculous spelling. So please watch it. Right. You'll That's get a good funny. laugh out of it. <laughs> nice. Wow. Well, thank you all to all of our listeners for tuning in. And please follow us on our Facebook page. Um, and uh, you can find our previous episodes on iTunes, on the website, www.podcastdetroit.com. And share our show with your loved ones and subscribe. And um, we hope to hear from you or hope to hope you tune in next time this is um saba m is in mary a r is in robert o o f's and frank signing off bye